to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. Thank you for listening and making a commitment to learning. I am your host. I am Jordan Porter, but I am not joined by Yvonne this week because she's busy moving to Oregon uh, back and forth and getting all that settled in. I'm actually joined by my daughter, Bailey. Hello. Um, we just figured that this would be a good a good fill-in. We could learn about some parasites and also allow Yvonne to take a week off. <laughs> Bailey, typically Yvonne and I banter a little bit about the weather, but oh. you and I know what the weather's been like here. Sunny. And cold. And chilly. Yeah. But usually hers is much colder and just not as nice as ours. Um, and we didn't get any new animals this week. Nope, none. Because um, usually I'm filling her in on what animals I got, and then she talks about her cats a little bit, but... The only thing we can talk about is our dog who's trying to join us in this podcast by <laughs> rolling on our feet. Yeah. Scoots. Oh, oh my goodness. Anyway, Bailey, we are going to be learning about Giardia. Ooh, sounds fun. So we're going to be learning about Giardia. It is an intestinal infection. So uh, what is infecting the intestines is a protozoan flagellite parasite. Of the Giardia species. Sounds smart. I know. I feel like I'm on the magic school bus. And like, <laughs> I, I feel like I should have some sort of like picture book to show you what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and just find a school bus, too. I wish I had a magic school bus. That would be fun. There's different life stages of a parasite, right? So do you obviously know where your intestines are, right? And like, yeah. So you can imagine what we're talking about when we like talk about dogs and cats coming in with specific clinical signs that we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, but this parasite essentially goes through life stages just like we do, just like, uh, flies and things like that. When you learn about the life cycle from a larva to an adult and things like that. So the flagellite is one stage and then the vegetative state, which we typically call trophozoites, um, of the giardia, of the giardia species inhabit the lumen of the small intestine. So like the inner layer of your small intestines. And then what they do there is when they attach to that part of the intestines, you know, when, um, did you ever learn about how like your intestines have like tons of little tiny like fingers? Nope. Oh, they have like your intestines are lined with like billions of tiny little fingers because it increases the surface area. So like what starfish have on the bottom? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like that. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> so those, like, the purpose of those is to increase absorption and increase surface area of the intestine. So, like, instead of having a straight line, like this pillow here, right, mm -hmm. you have a bunch of little tiny protrusions sticking up out of it. So then there's way more surface area to go in between and absorb nutrients. Oh. 
okay. So what it does, though, when this parasite gets in there and starts to cause damage, it'll attach to those little brushes um, and it'll damage those. So that way, in turn, that it makes it so the, the patient, the human, the pet, whatever is infected by this parasite can't absorb proper nutrients. And then they multiply there. Um, there are no intracellular stages. Where typically when we're talking about like things like this, they have an intracellular stage, meaning, meaning single cell. Oh, like single cell organisms. Mm-hmm. I learned about that in fifth grade. Yeah. Um, and then these usually live, like I said, we kind of already talked about, but in, the, in a portion of the small intestines, and then they migrate down the intestines during their infection um and then what they do is they pretty much cause cysts to erupt in the small intestines or the large intestines so that's pretty again damaging to those the surfaces that would absorb those nutrients so the cyst though the cyst itself of this parasite is the infective stage, and this can survive for several weeks or even months out in like a, an appropriate environment. So it typically, mm. an appropriate environment would be cool and damp. So like how it is here, right? It's a oh, little yeah. chilly and it's been raining, so it's cool and damp. So do you already thrive in the environment around here right now? Um, and so these trophocytes though are are passed in the in the stool. But especially during severe bouts of diarrhea, right? Because when that inflammation, when that damage is caused, right, we're not able to hold on to things like this parasite. So they tend to shed it more. Good. So, and then how do you think another animal would get infected with this parasite? Mm, Eats it or gets it through a cut? Yeah, very close. But eats what? If, if this bug is in the intestines, right? Yeah. What comes out of the intestines? Poop? Yep. And Ew. then another animal would have to ingest <laughs> that. Um, and so that's how, like, that's how other pets will get infected by this parasite, right? Yeah. So, um, again, that's in the infective stage of those cysts. And then they are... These cysts, though, like, so they're actually infectious immediately after excretion from a pet, right? And so they're also very resistant. And then over time, what that causes to happen is increased environmental infection. So meaning, like, we could go to the dog park and probably find some, right? Like, yeah, it just keeps spreading. How do you kill it? We're going to talk about that. Okay. (laughs) So, um, again, this parasite does thrive in, like, high humidity. So, again, like, do you know how people always talk about how humid it is here? Because, like, we live in the south and it's moist in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, again, our environment here is very great for this parasite. <laughs> but um, want... Can the parasite get to humans? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we so... do the same thing, poop, too? Or yeah, ew, <laughs> like would it have to be human poop or dog poop? <laughs> well, it's zoonotic, <laughs> so it could go either way. Ew, I don't want a virus. 
sight. Wash Anything that latches onto me. Wash your hands. <laughs> That's why I'm washing my hands every day. Kind of. So, again, though, when we talk about, like, what's happening in the body, though, when, when this parasite's in the intestines, right, it's going to increase epithelial per- permeability. So epithelial is like a cellular layer of the intestines, right? And so when we say increase permeability, think of, like, a straw, right? And you put a ton of little tiny holes in that straw, right? When you try to drink through the straw, would you get as much through as you would if it was... If there's no holes in it? No. So that's increased permeability. You're leaking that extra fluid, right? Ugh. Yeah. That sounded gross. So, and then this increases the number of intraepithelial lymphocytes, and lymphocytes are a type of white blood cell, um, as well as activation of T lymphocytes. Again, reactive. It's The body's trying to fight off this infection. Um... And so, again, remember talking about those little brush things in the intestines? We, again, lose that ability to absorb all of the proper nutrients when a dog eats or drinks or a cat uh, or a human uh, eats or drinks. When it goes through our intestines, the body is absorbing all those nutrients from the food. But with this infection, we lose a lot of that ability to hold on to those good nutrients. So then what happens? Do you just, like... Lose a bunch of nutrients. Yeah, so it can impair your the a pet's water intake, right? It can mess with their electrolyte imbalances or balances, right? So uh, we can have electrolyte disturbances, and then again, they're they're not taking up the proper nutrients. So then, what we see is a what's called a, a malabsorbed a malabsorptive diarrhea, meaning again, can't absorb proper nutrients. You. And okay. Yeah. Diarrhea. Oh, lots of diarrhea. We're about to talk about more diarrhea. <laughs> so when we see <laughs> patients that might have this parasite come into the hospital, right? We're going to talk about what signs we typically see. I think you got the hint. Um, but this infection does occur worldwide. It occurs in most domestic and wild mammals and a lot of birds, right? So it's everywhere. And yes, it is, it's very common in humans, uh, in some animals, specifically ruminants, so our farm animals outside, oh. um, and wild mammals. And so a lot of these pets, though, can have this infection without actually showing clinical signs or becoming ill from it, right? Oh. Like their bodies just respond really well and fight back to this parasite. Um, but sometimes we can see... Like, so if we don't see clinical signs, sometimes we just diagnose it on like a routine fecal exam. It's recommended to check a pet's stool sample at least once a year, right? To check for parasites and things to make sure that we're keeping our our pets happy and healthy. Happy and healthy pets are good. (laughs) So if we are starting to see signs, though, take a guess as to what we're seeing. Um, skinny. Yes, but we are also seeing diarrhea, and we're talking about chronic diarrhea. So diarrhea yeah. that's lasting a long time and not really resolving, and steatorrhea. So what that steatorrhea means... Steatorrhea sounds like a different type of diarrhea. It is a different type of diarrhea. Oh. <laughs> it's uh, where it's like fatty. Like, oh. yeah. Ew. Yeah. I don't like this no more. But yes, you're right. So we can see weight loss too, right? So, and then 
Again, their stools can be soft or poorly formed. They can be pale. They can be extra stinky. They can contain mucus. They can appear super fatty, just like we talked about. What? Oh, yeah. We, we discuss how poop looks all the time. And you know what's even better is when clients have a photo. Of it? On their phone. <laughs> we, is... we look at poop pictures all day. Delicious. Yeah. It's usually compared to food. Mm. So Wait, the poop is compared to food. Yeah, you know, pudding like consistency. Ew, that's gross. Ice cream like. Yeah. I just ate pudding at school today. <laughs> so, and we can also sometimes see vomiting in these patients. It doesn't occur very often, <coughs> but it, it can occur. Uh, same with like watery diarrhea. It's unusual, but it could be a clinical sign for this, this issue. So what we talk about a lot of times in hospital, if you are working behind the scenes with technicians, right, is, well, and doctors, right, is what differentials would we come up? What possible causes could we think of would be the cause for this pet's diarrhea, right? Mm -hmm. So we can think of things of just like, dietary indiscretion so they just ate something that upset their stomach and didn't agree with them right mm -hmm. or they could have uh, picked up a virus right or they could have picked up a parasite so there's a lot of things on the differential list but the more se severe the clinical signs get like so when we start seeing that weight loss or that very chronic diarrhea that's constantly mucusy right then we can think of things like epi or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency um, that sounded way too smart for what I was thinking of. For your sixth grade level education? <laughs> yes, my sixth grade level of education is not smart enough. You'll get there one day. If I ever become a vet, I don't want to look at diarrhea all day. Oh, well, your career or, options might be limited. We'll see. <laughs> or, or compare it to ice cream and pudding. Yeah. That's gross. I do agree that we should stop comparing that kind of stuff to food. So taco meaty. Mm. Ew, stop. <laughs> mm, delicious. Bailey. All right, so what do we need to do? We need to diagnose this, right? We have a differentialist. We have a couple of ideas of what it might be, but we want to prove what it is, right? We want to actually get a diagnosis. So a lot of times if a pet comes in with just diarrhea or chronic diarrhea, Sometimes we'll just recommend checking a fecal sample for parasites, right? Uh, sometimes we'll recommend what we call just full blood work. So it's a comprehensive chemistry that checks our like liver function or uh, kidney function, things like that, and our electrolytes. And then we have a CBC, which is a complete blood count, and that checks our red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. Oh, how many blood cells are supposed to be in dogs? Y'all like one, two, three, four, five... Kind of like that? Yeah, no joke. In school, I had to learn how to do that. Now there's machines. I mean, oh. there were machines too, but like it's one of those skills that you just like you should learn to know like why like why we get these numbers on. I was so confused. Mechanical like, blood work. You still have to go like you still have to go in a microscope and go one, two, three. Now four. technically, that we do differentials, right? And that's where we look at a blood smear, yeah, and then we go through and we count the white blood cells. I used to do that all the time. Several a day. Oh. So, like, how many were supposed to be in there then? Well, we count. It's a lot of math. It's uh, something I wish 
would show you written down. Oh. But we count 100 white blood cells, right? And then we make percentages because there's five different types of white blood cells. So we count how many of each of the five white blood cells we count, and then we get the percentage, right? So if we had, if I saw 22 lymphocytes out of 100 white blood cells, what percentage would that be? Please tell me you know this. Otherwise, your sixth grade education is going to fail me. Uh, 80? Are you serious? 22 out of 100? That's 22%. Oh, They've never taught us percentages yet. What? No. Homeschool. What are you going to teach me? Counting blood cells? Yeah, and percentages. <laughs> anyway, the main goal is really detecting the Giardia, right? So we know we can detect Giardia cysts or the trophozytes, and we can do that in fecal samples. But we, got, we can also test for Giardia antigen in fecal samples. Um... I used to do this in school as well and early on in general practice, but we used to centrifuge fecal floats uh, where you'd spin down poop essentially in this special solution and then you put like a slide on top of it. You'd look at the slide and you'd look for parasites. Hmm. Um, And so Giardia is pretty hard to find though, but when you can find it, it looks like a monkey face. It does? It does. I want to Google it now. It looks like an alien I guess, more like an alien. So, um, but again, so the Giardia cysts, though, are only excreted intermittently. So that means it's not shed every poop sample, right? Every time the dog poops, they're not shedding this parasite. Oh. They just shed it here and there. Um, So that means, like, just because someone brings in a fecal sample... And because no parasites were seen on this fecal sample doesn't mean if they brought another one in in five days, that would be negative. They would maybe see parasites five days later because of the the shedding cycles. That's cool. Wait, how many are usually in a dog? Parasites? Yeah. Hopefully none. Well, like, if they had that... Well, what if they had, like, pooped one out and then pooped one out again a day later? Oh, it depends on how many you, like, find in a fecal sample and how heavy their burden is. They can have a lot and where, like, you're looking at the fecal sample and it's just wall-to-wall, like, parasite eggs. Or you can have a little where you have to, like, really scan the slide and look and you see maybe one or two. Mm. It can vary. Um, so, because these cysts, though, they rupture if they dry... Um, or if they're exposed to extreme heats or colds. So these sips then might be even more difficult to see on flotation just because the cells aren't intact. Oh. So it can be hard to diagnose. Uh, there is a test sample called an IFAT where you can send off antibody testing to a lab. It's pretty quick and easy and it's usually pretty available too, so it's it's good quick test. There's some in-clinic testing that's available, um, and depending on the brand, of course, the sensitivity and specificity is, it can vary. I, that made total sense to you, didn't it? Total. You understand every word? Yeah. You, you want to say that again, though? No. Okay. <laughs> so... What 
what do we want to do? We want to treat this, right? Like, especially if a dog or a cat is showing clinical signs, if they're having active diarrhea all the time, you'd want to fix that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it, there's some controversy around whether or not to treat for Giardia if it's just like on a routine finding, but a pet's not actually sick from it or showing clinical signs. Um, so that is dependent on certain vet clinics. I guess the conversation would be is like because it's zoonotic right you'd want to treat it and kill it versus like if even though they're not showing clinical signs when they poop outside they're still shedding it yeah and spreading it around do you know if they're able to die from it uh i yes i mean pets can die from any parasite just given how many how large the burden is and how ill the pet is like some pets are worse off than others just naturally but how would like they die like would they just keep pooping oh no they would lose all their nutrients yeah oh and you gotta think too when you're having that kind of diarrhea that often that much like it hurts and you don't want to eat and so you just deteriorate Mm mm-hmm so, um, sometimes we really just are wanting to address the clinical signs. So what the outward symptoms are versus actually, um, achieving no cyst shedding in the poop. There's a couple drugs that are often used to do this. So fembendazole is a very, very common one, metronidazole. Or albendazole. Albendazole, though, is not actually indicated in dogs and cats. Uh, that should not. That's just for livestock. Livestock. Mm-hmm. There are technically, as of 2022, um, no approved treatment drugs approved for treatment in Giardia in dogs and cats. But that being said, it. These drugs are approved in some countries in Europe, a lot of countries in Europe. So fembendazole, though, is reported to stop the shedding of the Giardia cyst in dogs and cats with no adverse effects. Uh, and that one's good, too, because it's safe for pregnant and lactating animals. So if you have a nursing mom or a pregnant dog, um, it's still safe to give. And then, uh, so that one's usually chosen first to go ahead and treat this. Um but metronidazole can be used as well, but there can be, typically with metronidazole, it requires a, a higher than normal dose, and so sometimes there can be neurological side effects to that. What do you mean by, like, neurological? Like Yeah, like, what you think of, like, brain issues, like, twitching and, issues. like, yeah. There's, like, the body for some reason. Well, I mean, it is the body. Well, yeah, but I didn't first think of the brain. Oh. That was, like intestines like we've been talking neuro neuro brain yeah brain i didn't know that i kept thinking it was like oh the intestines yeah so anyway oftentimes like i said uh, this this doesn't actually show clinical signs to like to the patient the patient's not usually having diarrhea, but if if it gets to that point where the burden just becomes too large or it's caused too much damage, then it'll um, it'll cause some outward symptoms. 
It's pretty easy to address though. The main thing is, is really discussing with clients, like pick up after your dogs, right? Like yeah. you don't know where uh, other pets have been. And again, there's issues at dog parks and things like that. We talked about that a few episodes back. <coughs> Otherwise, that's it, Bay. Oh. That's all about Giardia. Mm, sounds delicious. Aren't you happy you got to join me for a Parasite episode? Yeah. I think this was actually a ploy because uh, Yvonne really despises talking about parasites. So I, I don't think I don't think she's actually busy. I think she just didn't want to talk about parasites. <laughs> I could be on here again for parasites. Yeah, you like parasites? Sure. Not with diarrhea though. That's I mean the majority of what parasites do. Okay. Plus then. think of any other parasites like nasal mites. We talk about nasal mites sometimes and those are parasites up in a dog's face. Oh. In the nose and they scatter when you shine light on them. I could learn about that one. I'll tell you about that. She, she, and you could do that episode. I don't really want to be a part of it. Why not? Because hmm? it's just <laughs> like nah. Anyway, thanks guys for tuning in this week. Sorry for the shorter than normal episode. Uh, Bailey doesn't banter back and forth with me as much as Yvonne does. No. <laughs> because you know what you're talking about, right? Yeah. You're an expert in this field. Mm-hmm. I totally know everything. Yep. Um, but thank you so much for listening, making a commitment to learning. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.